is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Well, hi, everybody. Um, Welcome to another episode. Okay, so... It's been a minute. Yes, but in our defense... We had extenuating circumstances. Yes. So anyone who has been to the store knows that we have had... Um, a tea shop that has shared our space with us for several years at this mm-hmm. point, um, since Jessica bought the store, basically. So about seven years now. Yes. yes. Um, but we, both of us, both of our enterprises have grown to the point where we need our own space. So mm-hmm. um, as sad as we were to part ways, the tea shop has moved out, but just around the corner from us. So it, I mean, and literally they, still in the same building, just with a different entrance. On the other side. <laughs> and it... Um, other side of the building, and it's a lovely, lovely spot that they've created, and I think it, um, yeah, I think it's great for both of us. Yeah, so that being said, we gained a couple of rooms back, which meant we had to move things around and clean, and and there was a lot of moving things around and cleaning that needed to happen, so we missed the last podcast. We did. Yeah. Yes. But but like we said, extenuating circumstances. Yes. Um, but when you come and visit the bookstore now, it's there's extra rooms and it's super exciting. Yes, and 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 even more to happen on that front eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very excited about having the space and yes, and hopefully look forward to seeing everybody if everybody out there gets vaccinated. Uh, you know. Um, we might be able to unlock the door someday. Yeah. Jessica and I both had our first doses and looking forward to the second one in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. all very exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, Jessica, what have you been reading? Well, I've been reading a few different things. Yeah. Um, so one, I, I have, because we've been so busy at work, I've kind of had a hard time focusing on reading a lot. So I picked up a few shorter books and essays during this time. One of them is, um, one of our customers ordered this book, and I was intrigued, so I (laughs) ordered a copy of it for myself. And it's an essay by E.B. White, kind of like his On Dogs or other essays. And this one is, Here is New York. Mm -hmm. And it, um, so he spent this uh, couple weeks in 1948, in the summer in New York and wrote this article at the time. And it's um, counted as one of the 10 best writings on New York by the New Yorker. Well, I (laughs) I guess they would know. (laughs) Um, And I just, uh, it's it's just kind of timeless. I mean, a lot of the things that he talks about aren't there anymore, um, but a lot of things still are. And he just captures the feel of the city so well. And so I have just a little passage I'm going to read from it. Um, One of the things that I really liked in the essay that he talked about was how you had the gift of privacy in New York because there were so many people in the city and so many different things you could do that you could be somewhat anonymous Mm -hmm. when you were there. And so anyway, um, and I quote him, E.B. White, I am at the moment of writing this living not as a neighborhood man in New York but as a transient or a vagrant in from the country for a few days. Summertime is a good time to re-examine New York and to receive again the gift of privacy, the jewel of loneliness. In the summer, the city contains, except for tourists, only diehards and authentic characters. No casual spotty dwellers are around, only the real article. So I just really like the way he writes about New York. Well, and knowing that he wrote it in 1948 and was there in the summer before, you know, central air. Yeah, only the diehards are hanging out in the city. That's <laughs> well, for sure. And he talks about that. In the beginning of the book, he immediately talks about sitting um, sort of in his hotel room where it's 102 degrees. Yeah. And, um, like, yes. I actually kind of felt like I was going to start sweating, like, <laughs> listening to it. Um, yeah, but it is, I, I highly recommend it. They've done a beautiful sort of gift edition of it um, that's in hardcover with a picture of E.B. White on the front. 
um, and it's Here is New York. And it has a new introduction by Roger Angel as well. Very so. nice. Very nice. Well, um, so um, I've kind of had the same thing where I had been um, gravitating towards sort of shorter things, but I forgot about the science fiction book that I picked for the science fiction uh-huh. book club this month and ended up reading it the day before the science fiction book club, and it was 514 pages. Well, that was an all-day adventure, <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? it was. <laughs> um, so that was, it's uh, The Gutter Prayer by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. Um, and it's the first in a trilogy, and mm-hmm. all three of the books are out in the in the trilogy. Um, so if you pick this one up, so you you're can, not being cruel to people. No, no, you can have instant <laughs> gratification and get the next one. Um, but the author, this was his debut fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, he had written like gaming manuals for like Dungeons and Dragons oh, wow. and like okay. games like that. So the world building in this is completely on point. Like mm-hmm. it is very intense world building. So if you're into that in the like dark fantasy, this mm-hmm. is going to be right up your alley. So it starts with three thieves in the middle of a heist gone terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three thieves are Carrie, who is an orphan sort of drifter, and she's been out at sea for a little while, and she's come back to the city. She was born in so the city. when you say out at sea, you mean literally out at sea? Yeah, literally okay. out at sea, on a ship sailing. Okay, so uh, really yes. a drifter. Yeah, really a drifter. Um, <laughs> but so she comes back to the city... Um, where she was born, but she hasn't lived there for several years. Um, her family's all dead. Um, and she's, she doesn't want to be in the city. Like she wants to be back out at sea, but she's met up with, um, the other two thieves. Um, and it's just kind of making a way right now until she can get back on a boat and be back out on sea. Mm -hmm. Um, one is Rat. Rat is a ghoul. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he describes ghouls in this, it's not like I've heard ghouls described before. Like they have hooves, kind of like goatee hooves. No. Um, so like Mr. Tumnus. Sort of, but, you know. Darker? dead people. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, and then there's Spar. And Spar is a stone man. Which he's he's human, but he's been infected with this plague that slowly turns him into stone. Um, and so there's a like it's not a cure, but it's a way to slow it down. He can inject himself with this um, medicine um, mm-hmm. to keep himself from completely turning to stone. But it's getting worse and worse, and like he's lost use of his leg. Um, he has to be very careful when he sleeps to move around because if he doesn't move, he'll start to calcify. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm completely lost in thinking there's there's another fantasy book where there are creatures that will turn you into stone if you get entangled with them. It'll come to me somewhere. Well, the other thing that I kept thinking about when I was reading it, and it's not in any way the same, is the never-ending story. There's mm-hmm. the rock biter guy yes. in the never-ending story. He was huge, um, yep. but that's not what that's not what this is. This is like normal-sized people. Okay, because <laughs> I also thought of that too. Yeah, no, that's exactly like I was, I was picturing in my head as that guy, <laughs> where two people have to go on this dangerous journey into this area where they. Anyway, it'll are you come to like me. Gorgons, like Medusa? No, hmm. no, it's not mythology. It's definitely a fantasy novel. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, um, so this book has um, sorcery. It has alchemy. Like mm-hmm. it has really cool alchemy. Um, it has a war amongst gods. Like it's got everything. Wow. Um, and I think. The way this one ends, which is not... I'm not going to give away what mm-hmm. happens in the story, but the way this one's ending, it's setting it up for a much larger overarching story. This one feels very much setting the stage for something big. Okay. Um, but I I really enjoyed it. Like um, The main character is Carrie, and mm-hmm. I think he writes her actually very well she doesn't feel like a caricature because sometimes Mm -hmm. men writing women especially 
women in fantasy like that are very like like a thief right. trope sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like they feel very like like a, a Victorian novel. Yeah, yeah. It's not so, like it's um, not like a Dickensian woman. She, yes. she's not just like a cardboard she's fully cutout. Out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought all of the characters were really interesting. There's a lot of secondary characters in this, and sometimes. Um, because it's such a crowd, you kind of mm-hmm. lose track of some of who they are. You don't really get to know some of the secondary characters as well as you would like to. And hopefully, like in in the future books, he fleshes them out a little bit more. But there's a lot going on, and I just thought he there were a lot of things that were um, unique. Mm-hmm. And it and, sounds yeah. really good. So, yeah. Oh, so yeah. the Gutter Prayer by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. Well, very good. Well, I also jumped into a bigger book because I had promised, <laughs> but it's a it's an easy one to jump into. Not dark fantasy. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, it depends on how you look at dark fantasy. Um, I think she would like being uh, described as dark fantasy. <laughs> so this is Mary Kay Andrews' newest summer read that comes out. Um, May, comes out right? May, yeah. yes. Beginning of May, very beginning of May. Mm-hmm. And um, she does this, I swear, a book a year, and I don't know how she does it, but it's amazing. This Maybe. one weighs in at, oh gosh, let's see here. Say 579 pages. Yes. Whoa, MKA. Yeah, so 579. <laughs> and she's gone a little murdery in this one, which I always like when she goes back to her murdery past because <laughs> I think it gives her work an extra twist that I like. Um, So this one takes place in Florida on the Gulf Coast, and it is, um, there are two sisters who have a close relationship, and one of the sisters is murdered. And she tells her Aunt Tanya, who has kind of a dark past and and has done some questionable things, Um, and so she tells her sister Letty, if anything happens to me, grab this suitcase that I've got of cash, and take Maya, my daughter, and leave town. It's my ex-husband who did it. Just get away from him as fast as you can. And this all happens in the first chapter of the book. I feel like it can't be her ex-husband because that's too simple. If she already tells you that in the first chapter, that can't possibly be what it is. So it gets much more complicated (laughs) after that. But (laughs) she finds this article in her sister's stuff about this hotel. It was in Southern Living that's down in... The town is named Treasure Island, (laughs) and it's just a little motel, kind of an old-timey motel, um, called the Murmuring Surf Motel. If Schitt's Creek happened at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Possibly. So she arrives there um, after having driven all night with a a four- or five-year-old child, and um, there's no vacancy sign up because the hotel has a, a motel, has a cast of regulars that come from up north and spend the, the winter there. And, um, but she asks anyway. And the proprietress of the hotel has a sort of, she's sort of a heart of gold character. Um, so she offers her a storeroom if she'll clean it out, kind of an old storeroom. And so... Letty works on cleaning it out. In the meantime, she meets the son of the proprietress, who is also a police detective. So mm. things get interesting there. Is he also dreamy? He is dishy, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, but in only a matter of time, Letty becomes invaluable to running the hotel, helping out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maya becomes beloved by all. And and but it's not that simple. Then things start happening and I can't tell you anymore because it'll ruin it for yeah, you. No. But I mean she really it is kind of a a perfect sit at the beach and just get lost in a book kind of book. Very good. And the new look to her covers is fantastic. It is. I really yeah. like it. They've given her sort of an updated look. Um yeah, it's 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 really well done. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And it was diverting and took me away from everyday life because a couple of the other things I read were a little heavier. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next thing that I'm going to talk about 
is a middle grade book. Um, and it's called Here in the Real World by Sarah Pennypacker, mm-hmm. who um, wrote, <laughs> I, I know, Jessica can't handle her last name. She just, it makes her giggle. Um, <laughs> um, but she's the author of the middle grade book Pax, mm-hmm. um, which, which is, is a wonderful book. Is beloved. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is her newest one, and it's out in paperback now. Um, okay, I want to I want to preface this by saying I really enjoyed this book, but I think it is a book that adults are going to want children to read because it has a great message. But I'm not sure if it will hold kids um, mm-hmm. because it's a little bit longer. And the story is very much a slow burn. And I may not be giving kids enough credit, but I'm not sure. Well, I think from us talking about it, um, it's a it's a more complicated storyline, too. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be something good for parents and kids to read together? I Yeah, probably. Um, so this... Okay, so the story is, um, it starts out, the main character is named Ware, and Ware is 11 and a half, and he's kind of a quiet, shy, in-his-own-sort-of-world kid. He likes to be off kind of daydreaming, and just he just likes to be by himself. He's very empathetic, so mm-hmm. like he feels other people's feelings very strongly. Um, but his parents... Um, are trying to buy the house that they've been renting. And so Mm -hmm. they're trying to save up money to do it. And they know that they're going to be super busy over the summer, each working as much as they possibly can to save up as much money as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. So their solution, because they don't want him to be at home by himself, because he kind of is the kid that likes to be by himself and they want him to be around other people, is to send him to live with his grandmother Mm -hmm. for the summer. And that's great. He's enjoying being there. She lives um, at this apartment complex that has a pool, and mm-hmm. he's, you know, having fun. But she f- ends up falling and breaking both of her hips and has oh. to have a hip, like a double hip replacement, and then has to be in a rehab facility. So that's no fun. No. And so obviously she can't take care of him for the summer. Mm-hmm. So the next solution is that he has to go to this basically summer daycare program at the local rec center. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's one of the oldest kids there and he just doesn't like it. He he's been there before and hated it. And, Mm -hmm. and this is really the only solution his parents can come up with. Um, So he goes for a couple of days and is Mm -hmm. just miserable. And then he notices back behind the rec center, there's this, partially demolished church um, Mm -hmm. and then like a kind of a piece of land with it. And he sees a little girl who's on the, on the property and she, it looks like she's like planting plants. Mm -hmm. So he goes back there to explore and he meets Jolene. So Jolene has discovered this property and is using it to grow papaya plants. And she explains to him that she's growing Mm -hmm. papaya plants because papaya plants will um, flower and produce fruit very quickly. And so Mm -hmm. then she can sell the fruit because she needs money, but he doesn't know why. And she doesn't, she doesn't want anything to do with him. Mm -hmm. So she just basically tells him to leave her alone and he can do what he wants, but he just needs to not be around her. Okay. So he decides he's going to take the church ruins Mm -hmm. and remake them over into like a castle because he's obsessed with like the code of chivalry and knight's conduct and everything. So he's, so where are the adults in the, the, the daycare program. Um, I mean, they're there. He just doesn't go in in the morning. So he gets dropped off. His parents drive off before he walks inside. He doesn't check in. So he's not technically there. So he, Mm -hmm. they're not looking for him. And then he takes the bus home because they, he has a bus pass. So the, the adults are not being negligent. He's just not going. (laughs) Um, but so, Obviously, he ends up making friends with Jolene, mm-hmm. and you get more of her story and why she needs money so badly. And um, it's just a 
like I said, a, a slow burn kind of story. Mm-hmm. There's more that comes into it with um, environmentalism and birds and a whole big thing. Mm-hmm. And they, they end up trying to save this property and keep it from being auctioned off by the bank because they don't want any, they don't want to lose their kind of mm-hmm. haven that they've made for themselves. How many pages roughly is it? It was over 300 pages. Because okay. it, it, it makes me think of, um, oh, the Carl Hyacin um, sort of middle grade books about Stomp and... Um, oh, it, much longer food. than those, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, where they're doing something sort of similar, mm-hmm. but, yeah, maybe more streamlined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, I feel like there's... I feel like there's a good lesson in it in the... Um, kind of self-acceptance and the, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's a really kind of poignant moment in it where he overhears his parents talking to each other and his mom is super stressed out because her mom is now in the hospital mm-hmm. and she's dealing with that in addition to trying to raise money to buy this house. And like, they're kind of at loose ends and she just like, why can't I have a normal kid who likes to hang out with other kids? And like, mm-hmm. so he hears his parents talking about him and you know, yeah. that, that, that they wish they had a different kid basically. And so like, yeah, um, well, it sounds wonderful. It, maybe it would be a, a better book, though, for like the high end of, of middle grade readers and something that parents and children can read together. Yeah, I feel like it would be a good book for like classrooms to do. Mm-hmm. I think like it, I think there's a lot to talk about in it that if they read it as a class like that, mm-hmm. it would be good for something like that. I just I, th- I think it's a good book and I think there's a lot there. I just worry that. It it's, might be a little much for it, yeah. your average middle grade reader. Yeah, that yeah. it's just not going to hold their attention. Well, well, we will see. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I have something, an adult, not version of that. But, um, <laughs> so when we were last speaking with Abby, our Norton rep, she talked about Richard Powers, who has a new novel coming out. He's the author of Overstory, mm-hmm. which has done incredibly well, and it's a beautifully written book, um, uh, very dense. <laughs> I was like, beautiful and incredibly dense. <laughs> and incredibly dense. There's a lot to it. Um, his writing, though, is both dense and sparse, which is a weird thing to say, mm-hmm. but his, he's, um, his descriptions are quick and succinct, um, but very poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a way with the words. Yeah. Um, and so bewilder- be- bleh, Bewilderment <laughs> is a novel. And um, it is not as many pages. I think it comes in at 277 pages. Um, and it's the story of an astrobiologist who is the father, Theo, and his son, Robin. Um, Robin's mother and his wife has been killed in a car accident. And that's kind of where we pick up with them. And Robin is not your average boy. He um, is having some difficulty at school. In addition to the loss of his mother, he also doesn't really fall into a particular category. Like you could say he's on the spectrum possibly, or maybe he has some ADHD tendencies, Um, but he's having difficulty fitting in at school. His father is very much against putting him on any kind of psychotropic drug and thinks it's ridiculous that a nine-year-old should be put on that. And so there's some tension with the school Um, over his care of Robin. And then he takes Robin out of school to take him on this trip to the Smokies um, so the two of them can be together. And um, that also doesn't help with what's going on at school because now Robin's been absent for seven days and that makes it even harder for him to kind of go back and just fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, So the arc of the story is kind of loosely based on Flowers for Algernon, which comes up during the book, and there is a definite parallel there, but I don't want to give away too much. Um, it is a beautiful and poignant story, but it is it is not an easy read. Um, it's uh, There's a lot of um, different things about 
the child's sensitivity to the people around him and his disbelief that people don't care about the environment in the way that he does. Um, he is completely overwhelmed about animals going extinct, about what man is doing to the earth. Well, didn't you tell me that the mother in the book had been an environmental lawyer? Yes. So the mother in the book had been an environmental lawyer and was also a vegan and um, and didn't subscribe to the same beliefs as her family. Mm-hmm. And so at some point in the book, he, you know, they go for a holiday uh, Thanksgiving to her family um, and they live outside of Chicago, and there's conflict there as well because, you know, the child the child does not eat meat, and the grandfather keeps trying to get him to eat meat, and keeps saying really sort of insensitive things like, "Come on, man, it's Thanksgiving, you can have some turkey now." To the point where the child is crying and saying, "I don't eat animals." Yeah. So, it's it's a it's it's a beautiful story, but. Um, and there's a lot to unpack in it, and the writing is amazing, but it is it is not a feel-good book. So his obsession with environmentalism and animals and stuff, did that come as a result of his mother dying, or was he or was that something that he and his mother had in common before his mother died? Well, he's nine, so yeah. it's hard to say how much is sort of... Um, I'm just wondering if it's like a grief reaction. No, he was already... They were already there. They okay. were already vegans. They, um, His father, as an astrobiologist, um, would take the... Um, it's, it's actually... There's a lot of fascinating scientific tidbits in there and environmental tidbits. Um, so... He would take the chemical structure of a planet, mm-hmm. and then he would imagine with what exists on that planet, what kind of life could exist there. Right. And then he would do computer models of that. So between that actual sort of world building and then his mother's um, fiery environmentalism, mm-hmm. I think he was just brought up this way. Gotcha. Really. Okay. But on top of that, he was also a very intelligent but very sensitive child so um you know I, I think we all struggle with the inability to believe that people don't see the world in the way that we see it mm-hmm. you know how can people believe that how can they do that but with this child it's it's very pure um but it doesn't really set him up to do well in life yeah so and and his father's struggle with it is hard to watch as well because he's dealing with his own grief and he also doesn't, you know, know what the answer is for this child that he loves with all his heart. Yeah. And so, um, so yes. <laughs> that one sounds rough. <laughs> um, Bewilderment by Richard Powers. Um, I, it is a beautiful book, but it is, um, yeah, it, um, it's still leaving me with a lot of things I need to think about. Mm-hmm. It's fair. All right. All right, so it's totally different. <laughs> um, so I um, I would say three-quarters of the way through, almost finished, um, with a book that is coming out in June called um, Ola Poppy by John Paul Brammer. Um, and the subtitle is How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So I thought this was going to be a very funny book, but um, there, it, you know, there are moments that are very funny in it. Um, but it is a memoir told in essays, and um, John Paul Brammer is an advice columnist mm-hmm. who started writing an advice column, basically on Grinder, um, <laughs> and it. The the blurb on the back calls him the Picante Carrie Bradshaw of his generation. And that's a very accurate uh, description of this because mm-hmm. it, it definitely feels like sex in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is each part of this, um, at the beginning of each essay, he um, has like a question from like a reader. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, let's see. Um like, how do I make peace with the years I lost in the closet? And so then he tells mm-hmm. kind of a story that 
answers that question from his personal experience and kind of tells you about his journey um, on different things. Um, so he is, his mom is Mexican and his dad is white and he grew up in Oklahoma <laughs> and um, he was really, really brutally bullied in middle school um, to the point that he was suicidal and his mom was worried about him. So switched him to a different high school from all these kids that were torturing him in middle school. Um, but I mean, as you can imagine, Oklahoma yeah. for a biracial, biracial, chunky he, little boy um, is not is, a, is gay is yeah. gay is not an easy place. No, um, I, so no, yeah. But I mean, he's gone on to um, do wonderful things. Um, he lives in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. like everyone does, apparently. Every writer, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, he uh, has his advice column. He writes essays, short fiction. He does illustrations. Um, he has a design company um, and does artwork. He has written for the Washington Post, Food and Wine, Business Insider. So he's landed on his feet. Oh yeah, he's yes. he's doing very well for himself. Um, and he he really has um, a good way of looking at things. Like he doesn't gloss over the um, hard things that mm-hmm. he's he's faced in his past, but he also doesn't wallow in it. He's um, it's I actually am very much enjoying it. I was a huge sex in the city buff. <laughs> um, like it was one of my favorite things. And coincidentally, when I adopted, um, our newest puppy, she came from a litter of puppies that were all named after <laughs> sex in the city characters. Nice. She was formerly known as Carrie, which makes sense because she's a little puppy alcoholic. Oh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So Ola Poppy by John Paul Brammer. Um, it's also got a fantastic cover. Oh, I, I, I I really hope he designed this cover. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I feel like there's a good chance that he did. Um, but, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's very um, poignant in places, but um, there are lines in it that will make you laugh. It's mm-hmm. just, um, it's not, like, kind of, it's not Samantha Irby sort of, right. like, you know, hit you in the face, funny sort of mm-hmm. things, but still talking about real stuff yes um all right well so um in the vein of shorter things yes um so jessica and i um well i finished with it jessica is very close to being finished oh no i finished oh did you finish okay i did actually finish it yes Um, i just i had marked a place i liked in it um, um so other Press mm-hmm. is one of our okay, favorite publishing houses. <laughs> Other Press. Um, they are very, they're a, a small publishing house. Um, they do a lot of translated literature. They're mm-hmm. also Jonathan Rabb's publisher. They our, are. Our local favorite. And they're <laughs> a part of Penguin Random House. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, that's how I met all the wonderful people at Other Press when, uh, as we like to call them, J. Rabb's. Savannah book was coming out and mm-hmm. I was a newbie bookstore owner. Yes. And I went to dinner with the other press folk. All of them made me feel so at home and um, they were so kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when Melissa and I went to New York pre-pandemic. Like right right before the pandemic. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> the pandemic was really going on, but none of us knew it at that point. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we got to visit their offices, and I think we uh, may have talked about this at the very beginning of the podcast mm-hmm. because uh, we had read a couple of books that they were putting out. But such a cool place! It's at, like a an art gallery, like the just well. And they took us out to lunch. Like, imagine you're a young writer in New York, and you get to go out for a lunch at this fancy restaurant <laughs> with your editor and the publicist and everybody, they took us to a lunch like that. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, but they, because they're a small publishing house, um, they aren't doing a lot of arcs right now, like a lot of publishers are. Right. Um, but they specifically were saying that um, they were only doing arcs for people that requested certain things. <laughs> and they sent me this book in the mail. And because I knew 
they weren't doing arcs. I was like, okay, I absolutely have to read this one because clearly they want me to read this. So, yes. Um, so it's a small little book um, called A Sunday and Vie d'Evray, um, and it's by Dominique Boberis. Um, so it's translated from French, obviously. Yes. <laughs> um, and it takes place... In France. Yes, right outside of Paris. Um, well, in Paris, sort of. Sort of. Outside of Paris. Um, so it's the story of two sisters. Um, so one of the sisters lives in Paris with her partner. Um, they're not married, I don't think. Um, but he has a, a great distaste for the suburbs and people that live in the suburbs. They're intellectuals. Yes. And they're friends where mostly black clothing and they have dinner parties mm -hmm. and they don't care for the suburbs at all. No. And her older sister uh, lives in the suburbs with her husband. Her husband is a doctor. Um, they have a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and she... She, well, she doesn't really work at this I, point. Um, for some, oh no, she no no. She works in the doctor's office, office. sometimes. Yes, she fills in as his secretary or receptionist um, yeah. sometimes. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, um, she does, and she. Um, it's it's a really interesting story. It's the yeah. translation is wonderful. Yeah, it actually is very beautifully translated. Um, um, I, and one of the things that I just, because I just finished it about mm -hmm. three hours ago, yes. that I really like about translations is because they're translations and some words don't translate exactly, they use different language to say something. Um, the, the words are slightly different than how a, um, a natural English speaker mm -hmm. would would say it, and therefore it makes it, somehow more poignant or more thought-provoking to me. Yeah. Because, um, well, so because the the one sister's um, partner does not like to go out to the suburbs, they don't visit her sister very often. And he's out of town, so she decides this one Sunday afternoon mm -hmm. that she's going to go visit her sister. And so they spend the day, like, sitting in the in the garden talking and the sister starts to recount this story that she's kept to herself for about 15 years now mm -hmm. um, about a, a gentleman that she's met. That she, yeah. And it's unclear. In fact, I would, I would say they never actually had an affair. No. They, it was, I think he was very interested in having an affair and she was just needed something in her life. I think she was interested in the attention that mm -hmm. he was paying her. Um, but it's an interesting, so the story goes back and forth a little bit in time and mm -hmm. um, it's the first time they go back, it talks about their childhood in Belgium mm -hmm. and the games they used to play um, and that their favorite book was... Jane Eyre, and they were obsessed with Mr. Rochester. Yes, which is, you know, it's a dark road to go down <laughs> when you're obsessed with Mr. Rochester. Well, and so the guy that she ha almost has this affair with has some striking similarities mm -hmm. to Mr. Rochester. He's sort of... She doesn't really know much of anything about him. Mm -mm. He's tall and dark and slightly older and walks with a limp. Mm -hmm. He's from Hungary. He tells her from behind the Iron Curtain. Um, but nothing really pans out with him. Like, he says he has an import-export business, but when she goes to the office, it's not really there. Yeah, and so there's, there's a bit of a mystery mm -hmm. element to it. Um, but that's interspersed with sort of the day-to-dayness of her life, mm -hmm. which is very, you know, she works at her husband's office sometimes. She picks her daughter up from school. Her daughter takes piano. Mm -hmm. She does the laundry. She, her camellias are getting ready to bloom. You know, just sort of a suburban housewife life. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would say it's kind of one of those books where not a lot happens. It's very... Um, slice of life sort mm -hmm. of a day in the life yeah like if you had gotten together with your a f good friend that you rarely see or your sister that you're not that close with and suddenly they tell you this long story out of the blue that mm -hmm. you never suspected about them and yeah yeah 
It's, yeah. I, not a lot happens, but a lot happens. Yeah. And it's less than 200 pages. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a very little, little um, book. But it's, it, it is, I, for fear of saying beautifully written. It, it really time. is beautifully written. <laughs> it is. It is beautifully written. And it is thought-provoking and um, and interesting the way she tells the story. Like, the two little girls in Belgium, when they're growing up, I think they have sort of a disconnected mother who's always telling them that if they don't study, they're going to end up being cashiers at a, you know, a restaurant or yeah. something like that. And um, Well, and they went from being very close when they were little to being not close at all. And they sort of... She... The one sister who lives in Paris um, talks about her sister as just sort of being... Dreamy. Dreamy, yes. Just sort of dreamy and not really in touch with reality. Mm -hmm. And apparently this started when they were children, and her sister, they would play with the lace curtains in their room, and her sister would just stare out the window, and then they would pretend that they were Rochester's bride. Well, and I hadn't even thought about it, like... If she is, in fact, dreamy and not really in touch with reality, how much of the story is actually reality and how much of it is not? Well, because there's a whole bit with sort of a, a vagrant who that's interdispersed in yeah. there. And so, yeah, it is, um, it is a story that you will think about mm-hmm. again and again. It has sort of a haunting quality to it. And um, uh, I, I, I would highly recommend picking it up. It's a... It would also be an excellent beach read, I think, but I like my beach reads a little deeper. Sometimes. I feel like it would actually be a really good like leaves falling autumn, oh, like in the sort mountains. of like in yeah. the mountains, late October, early November, with like a good cup of coffee sort mm-hmm. of read. Or it might be a nice in the city coffee shop read. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Okay, well, so there's lots of places you could read this book, <laughs> but you should definitely read it. Yes, it's very good. So it's A Sunday in Vie de Vray, um, Dominique Barberis. And then, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into... So as I was reading it, it reminded me very much of another um, book that I had read a few years ago. Actually, it's probably about seven or eight years ago now. That is, that's a few. That's a few. <laughs> that's a few. And it's published by another small press that I really like called New Vessel Press. Mm-hmm. And they do mainly translations. And this one is The 641 to Paris. Mm-hmm. And it's just a short novel. And it's by Jean-Philippe Blondel, I believe is the correct way to pronounce the name. And it's, it's an interesting plot. It's a dual narrative. And um, the sort of the main character is Cecile and she's gone out to the country to visit her parents and to take care of them and she decides she's just going to, where she grew up, is going to go ahead and, and spend Sunday night too and just catch the early train back to Paris for work in the morning. Would that be the 641 train? That would be the 641 <laughs> train. And so she was sort of a, you know, not super popular teenager but reasonably popular and she... um now is in her mid to late 40s, and she's a successful businesswoman in Paris. And um, she's married and has a child. And um, so anyway, she gets on the train, and as they're going along, uh, a man sits down next to her, and she looks over, and his, his name is Philippe, and she realizes that it is the guy that she dated like 25 years ago. And they don't speak for the entire ride. And it's all an internal dialogue of what they're thinking about their relationship 25 years ago. So he recognizes her as well, but doesn't yes, say anything. Yes, but neither one of them act like they recognize each Interesting. other. Interesting. And so it goes back to their relationship. He's not had such a successful life. He um, is working in a big box store as a television salesman. He's divorced. Uh, he's not particularly fit at this moment in time. Well, um, I, I feel that. <laughs> um, but he, um, and he's the one who sort of hum- humiliated her and, and um, ruined their relationship. So they're both, you go back and forth, her telling her part and him telling his part. And then at the end, they get off the train and then... Uh, uh. I'm not going to say it, <laughs> but 
Um, it's an, it's a really interesting. Um, it's a it's a great translation. Mm -hmm. um, the writing is beautiful, and it's an interesting concept and construct of a story. And I love the way. So, the author um, there's a great part about how he thought about it, um, and I think this is, you know, I love the inspiration for authors. Mm -hmm. um, but he says that he was, it was not a specific relationship of his, but he was in the pharmacy, no, he was at a post office, and um, he was standing behind someone in line, and there was a woman behind the counter, and the man had a difficult Polish name, and she wrote it down and spelled it perfectly, and he was so surprised, and he didn't realize that it was someone he had dated like 25 years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, yes. And that's, that's, that's it. But this is a, a little gem of a book. Again, pretty slender, um, very interesting, and um, the 641 to Paris. Well, when I go back to the store, I'll be looking for that one. Yes. Um, I think the, so the last thing uh, we wanted to talk about this time is the book that we just read for our Jane Austen book club. Yes. Um, so it's The Clergyman's Wife by Molly Greeley, and it is inspired by Pride and Prejudice, and it is the story of Charlotte Lucas after Charlotte has married Mr. Collins and mm -hmm. what kind of happens in her life after that. Um, so I think that anyone that is a fan of Pride and Prejudice, there are two camps of people, mm -hmm. like, where you stand on the Charlotte Lucas issue yes. marrying you, Mr. Collins. Like, are you pro-Charlotte? Do you understand why she made the choice she made? Or do you look down on Charlotte for making that choice? I, and I actually go back and forth sometimes, because it, it, it depends. Like, I intellectually understand that Charlotte had very little choice. choice like i mean that she made the the correct decision for herself but so <laughs> yes i i've always been in the pro charlotte yeah um because you can just see that she doesn't have i mean she's older mm -hmm. she's plain her family does not have any money well in, and and in this book they actually tell a little bit more about the, the the author goes into more detail about mm -hmm. sort of the backstory of her family and their financial situation. And so um, Charlotte didn't have a lot of pretty choices in front of her. No. Um, so I understand why she made the choice. I, But it's always... So I've read several books now that kind of play out Charlotte's story, mm -hmm. either as a um, a character in a book about another Bennett sister, or um, actually this is the first one I've read just about Charlotte. This is, I've read a couple other ones that are just about Charlotte, and I think this one was like the nicest treatment of the ones mm -hmm. that I've read that focused primarily on Charlotte. Um, I think this one acknowledges that her, her marriage is not the dream marriage, but that there are things in her life that make her happy. Mm -hmm. There are things that, I, I mean, she could be in a much, much worse situation. She could. And I think, yes, she she makes peace with her life in mm -hmm. the end of this one. And it does give you a little bit of insight and it, it fleshes her out a little more as a character. Um, and I think this one tries to be especially kind to Mr. Collins too in certain areas. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of explains a little, a bit about why he is the way he is. And his upbringing and yeah. his his need. Yes, it, it does, without spoiling it too much. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't have, you always suspect that Mr. Collins didn't have an easy time of it. I mean, although he's a ridiculous character, um, I've seen him treated sympathetically several times, and I think it's reasonable to... I always feel kind of more bad for him than... Mm -hmm it's like it's he's very obsequious and is very um he he does great on the nerves sometimes with yes. just but <laughs> well not sometimes <laughs> well but i mean if you look at it realistically he comes to longbourn with the best of intentions mm -hmm. trying to do the right thing by mr bennett's family by choosing a wife from one of his daughters mm -hmm. because he knows that he is going to get the intel 
when Mr. Bennett dies. So he really does come with great intentions. And he also, I like you, you, while he is annoying with his lady Catherine stuff, Mm -hmm. he really is beholden to her for his lifestyle and his, well, his living, his living. Right. And, and, and she's not an easy person. No, (laughs) Uh, but I feel like he puts himself. Yes. I, He's he's a difficult character. He is a difficult character. He is it's a like, difficult character, and we all know we all know in our hearts that Mary would have been the right match for him, but you know that's just not the way it worked out. Well, uh, yes, that's true, but also you know it's nice that Charlotte got a chance. Chance and, and yeah. yes, and I always I mean we all like Charlotte as a character mm-hmm. in Pride and Prejudice. I don't um, even though people don't always like her choice. I think everybody likes her as a character, and especially when you see her, when Lizzie goes to visit her, Mm -hmm. and you see her in her home where she's still fascinated with her chickens and her life, Mm -hmm. and um, and she kind of, I mean, she's smart. She can kind of see things that Lizzie can't. Mm -hmm. Well, and I don't, I don't feel like the people who disagree with her decision don't like charlotte as a character i think Mm -hmm. they want more for charlotte as a character like Mm -hmm. they actually want charlotte to be happy i mean yeah well we hope that charlotte ends up happy in the end i think she does yes (laughs) and well i think that's uh all we have we ended up happy in the end as well (laughs) yes we did yes we did um so we will be back um in not too long yeah, in about two weeks, and we're mm-hmm. going to have our penguin rep, Diane, on, who is going to talk about some books coming up from the Penguin List. Yes, and we will be discussing the Paper Palace with her. Yes. So, until then, be well, read books, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. <laughs> so we can unlock the doors of the bookshop again. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>